B-Pod Studios. What are the new trends emerging quickly that impact our business? Who are the thought leaders bringing these new products to market? And what lessons in leadership can we bring to our everyday life? Beasley Media Group Executive Vice President of Strategy and Innovation, Buzz Knight, brings all of this to life with this podcast, Healthy Paranoia. Today on Healthy Paranoia, we speak with branding and innovation specialist Tom Asacker. Tom is an accomplished writer, speaker, and advisor for many Fortune 500 companies, and he'll shed light on our chaotic times. Well, Tom, thanks for taking the time to talk on uh, Healthy Paranoia. It's uh, it's something I'm really uh, been looking forward to. Well, thanks, Buzz. I appreciate being on. And I want to uh, throw out props to what uh, you and uh, my friend Mark Ramsey do, your Media Unplugged uh, get-together, which I think is always very insightful and fascinating. So uh, props to you guys on that as well. Yeah, thanks. We have a lot of fun doing it. So tell me, first of all, uh, and tell the audience what the business of belief is, because obviously that's at the core of, of your business as well. Yeah, that um, that was my last business book that I wrote, and uh, it came out, I believe, about two or three years ago. Um, I went on a deep dive to try to understand how people were making decisions because they, uh, they weren't making decisions based on knowledge because I would ask them after they made a decision, why they did opposite of what they told me that they understood. And I would get comments back like, uh, well, you know, when you left, people had to go back to their jobs and organizations are complex organizations. I understand all that, but I couldn't figure out what the actual decision methodology, if there was one, or whether the, whatever the subconscious decision-making process was. So I spent a year researching how people make decisions, and I discovered that people don't make decisions based on knowledge and understanding. They make it based on this fuzzy concept called belief. Uh, So that's what I did. I spent time teasing out what is this concept, how does it work, how can you utilize it in in trying to get people to uh, believe in and adopt your products and services and ideas. So that's, uh, that's what that's all about. (laughs) <laughs> and you really uh, took an interesting twist with it as well uh, as far as uh, your look at TED Talks in that uh, whole process, right? Can you talk about that a little bit? <laughs> well, somebody had read the book, The Business of Belief, and then I, I got a call out of the blue, and uh, and it was an organizer for one, for one of the big TEDx talks, the one down at Cambridge, Mass. And she said that uh, she read this book, heard about me, wondered if I would like to come give a talk. And and I said no. And she I, she like was stunned, I guess, because everybody's just flocking to these people to try to get up on that stage. And she said, what do you mean no? And I said, well, I don't think those TED Talks do anything to change anybody's behaviors at all. I think they're just entertainment. And um, she paused and she said, well, why don't you come talk about that? And I said, you're going to allow me to get up on stage and say why TED Talks don't change people's behaviors? And she said, yes. I said, okay, I'll do it. <laughs> so that's, that's how that all came about. <laughs> I love that. I love it. So give us your take on the uh, the media landscape today. And, and, and 
tie it in if you can to what you think radio should be considering when it uh, when it comes to radio maximizing our audience relationship. Uh, well, that's a, a massive question. Um, let me let me give you my simple take on what I'm seeing unfold in media. And uh, please remember, this is like trying to describe like a kaleidoscopic image because this is it's moving and shifting rapidly. So I'm sure your audience is aware of this as well. I mean, the Internet has unleashed a limitless number of channels to disseminate information and entertainment. I mean, news, music, movies, education, via everything from text, audio, video, animation, games, virtual realities coming, you name it. And with an accumulation of audience data to, I guess, hopefully enhance whatever the discovery value creation of all that content is for the for the users. Um, Buzz, I, I wouldn't even look at the Internet as another channel like TV, newspapers, radio, but rather as an evolution of channels. I mean, content delivered to various Internet-enabled devices because it's simply a matter of time before everything either moves to or is at least connected in some way to the Internet. And, you know, with 5G rolling out, that time frame is obviously going to speed up. So with regard to maximizing one's audience relationship, it all comes down to this, what I like to call a dance of desires and an exchange of value within that huge ecosystem. Because desire is what animates the marketplace. And awareness and this imperfect calculus of value, the reason I call it imperfect because no one can become aware of every option and all the information that's available about anything. But it's, so it's that imperfect calculus of value and people awareness and desire, that combination creates people's decisions and habits. Now, erroneously, business people have been calling that brand loyalty. And so it puzzles them when people go away because they think, you know, I thought these people were loyal. But that's not what people are doing. People are looking at their desires, what they're becoming aware of, their calculus of value, kind of all in re- it's all in real time. And like I said, it's moving. It's dynamic. Um, I'll give you an example. So there's an overwhelming amount of TV media options that's starting to cause choice exhaustion. So like last year there, I think there were close to 500 original scripted TV programs across network TV, cable, and the various streaming platforms. And so what happens? So many people, they simply throw their hands up, stop searching, and they relieve that anxiety by re-watching old favorites, past episodes of Friends or Star Trek or something. So the key is to understand what people are experiencing and feeling, when and where they're feeling this, and then to give them what they desire or what they intuit will help solve their problems and enhance their experiences and, and do it in a unique and competitively superior way. And that, it, it sounds really simple, but it, it's really tricky. It requires a deep understanding of what's going on with people when they're looking and, and experiencing different forms of media. 
It's a long answer, I guess. <laughs> I just put my kaleidoscope glasses uh, uh, back on after after you laid it out. So no, that that you you lay it out, you know, in a way that. Uh, is, is very thought provoking, um, and yet it's complicated, like you said, right? I mean, it sounds simple, but it's not, you know. No, it's not at all. It's not at all. When you uh, when you consider all of this, and you consider the challenges and the opportunities that radio faces, um, how can radio innovate during these challenging times? Well. <laughs> Radio is no different than anyone else. I mean, it's just it's, it's people that are looking to gain people's attention, to get them engaged in what they're doing, to earn their trust through some type of value exchange and experience that validates what people are looking for. Um, when it comes to innovation, you know, it's really interesting. It's kind of like what you desire you will manifest in the world if you, if you desire it. That's why everything that I talk about is always driven by this idea of desires. You know, do you really want it? So if you really want it, then, and you really have to want to dance with, with what innovation means, right? Because it's not, you know, it's all about unknown. It's all about risk. It's about making bets. Uh, you, you have to want that. You have to des- desire that the experience of, of the unknown, of collaboration, of learning and growth. If you want that, you can go get it. There's no, there's no barrier to innovation. There really isn't. Uh, but you have to want it. And it's like any kind of game or sport. I mean, whoever plays the most while discovering what works and what doesn't while they're playing they eventually get better and better at it. So that's why Amazon is doing everything that Amazon's doing out in the marketplace. They just keep experimenting. And, you know, and they do this, and people open their eyes and say, what the hell just happened? I mean, I just read, I think it was yesterday, that Lady Gaga is releasing a line, her line of cosmetics exclusively through Amazon as a brand. Now, how did they pull that off? I don't know. They're out there dancing in the marketplace, making all kinds of bets, trying different things to see what works and what doesn't. So it's available. It's available to everybody, and especially to radio because they have an audience. You know, that, that is the biggest barrier today to creating any type of business. It's not money. It's can you create an audience? Because once you can create an audience and you can create trust, then you can start dancing with them to try to understand what their problems are, their unfulfilled desires, anything that will help you grow that relationship. Well, so what I'm hearing you say also that I think radio needs to consider is where are the opportunities to be able to truly incubate something and do it in a manner where the risk is evaluated, certainly, but um, that it's a risk that's under control, right? I mean, I think that's that's the challenge, isn't it? Well, yeah. So, so if you're if you have a real deep sense of what's happening with your audience, with their options, with their their different desires that is shifting based on place and time, and their value equation shifts with place and time, I think people have a hard time understanding that. 
that if I if I get out of work and a bunch of friends say to me, hey, meet me down here at this Boston bar and let's have a beer. When I walk in there, I have a value equation based on place and time. And I walk in and I get charged $6 for a beer. I don't have a problem. But if I go on Saturday to the supermarket and they try to charge me $6 for each can of beer that I'm picking up in a six-pack, I'm going to have a problem with that. So to understand the context and then give people something where the value exceeds anything else out there, that comes from, like you said, smart bets. That comes from an instinct of understanding what, what do I think people want. I mean, that's how Apple became the company that it became. People seem to forget that. It was Steve Jobs. Somebody handed him a Nokia phone. And, and he looked at it, and he saw that there were four songs on it, I think, four. And he went, well, this is interesting, songs on a phone? And he just saw it. He saw the vision of, wow, what if I could put thousands of songs on a phone? And, and he told his people, stop working on the iPod, stop working on the iPhone. I want all these songs on phones instead of a separate device. So he was in it. And so that bet was easy for him to make. So how do you think companies should encourage um, everyone in the organization to be innovators? <laughs> uh, I, yeah, it comes back to, you know, it's all, this is all really simple. It comes back to do they really desire it? If they really desire it. Because innovation, again, it's not about predictability and comfort. And I, I, I'm working with major brands and media companies about making certain bets. And, I mean, some of the things that I'll hear people say, which, which is like, show us, you know, the numbers. I say, how can I show you numbers? You haven't even developed the product. The numbers come after you release the product, not before. I, say, I can make up numbers if you want me to make something up to make you feel good. But understand that there is no way that anyone can put the future on a piece of paper for you. I know that that's what people are used to, but that's not innovation. Innovation is about possibility, right? It's about, like I said, stepping into the unknown and feeling your way through the darkness because you can't shine a light on what's on the other side of, of that bridge. You just get on there and you start walking and you say, okay, does this feel good? Let's shift a little this way. So if people, organizations can give their people a sense that they value that, Oh, I guarantee you, there are all kinds of ideas that will just bubble up from all the people within the organizations. And then, collectively, you sit down, you look at the best bets, and you make some bets. And that really leans into where my final question was going to be, which is really the priorities of leadership today, doesn't it? I mean, isn't that really the direction that leaders should be thinking about? Yeah, Leadership, I don't know why this is so confusing for people. Leadership in a chaotic environment is not like leadership in, in sports, where you have this fixed time frame, rules, referees. You know, it just it doesn't work like that. Now, organizations, I think collectively today, are spending more than $14 billion annually on leadership training and development. But they really don't have an understanding of what they're training for. They don't have a theory or a model of how leadership really works in chaotic times. But if you look at the word lead, it means to go forth, 
to travel. So great leaders are really nothing more than great guides on other people's trips, right? They have a feel for the direction that the, the organization is heading and why, based on the desires of the marketplace. They know the terrain and the culture. They know how to prepare the route and the logistics. But then they set the people free and they work with them to move into the future, right? They remove obstacles. They, they keep people on track and moving, but it's not their job to tell them what to do. It's their job to just let them move forward through their own skill and through their own will to make it safe for them to do it. I mean, there's a quote from uh, the, the Tao Te Ching that kind of sums up what leadership is all about today. And it says, of the best leaders, when the task is accomplished, the people will remark, we have done it ourselves. That's, that's leadership. And believe me, it, it, it's not an instinctual thing because we're led to believe that leaders should be telling people what to do and monitoring and measuring and comparing and running meetings and reports. And that's not leadership. I was a leader at, at GE, and they sent me off to the, the legendary Crotonville Leadership Institute for a week-long training session. And while I was there, they did a 360-degree uh, review with my people to see what my people thought of me as a leader. And I was absolutely, listen, I was sure that I was incredible. I, I mean, I knew it. And, and, and I was incredible because they got the scores while I was out there, and they said they'd never seen such incredibly low scores from anybody. <laughs> I'm not kidding you. I, like, I went, what? So I get back to the company. I'm so confused that I decided I'm going to pull a George Costanza. Remember when he did everything the complete opposite? <laughs> yes. Right? Yeah, because Jerry said to him, if every instinct you have is wrong, then the opposite would have to be right. And I remember George said to him, okay, I'll do the opposite. I used to sit here and do nothing and regret it for the rest of the day, so now I'll do the opposite. I'll do something. So I did the opposite. I got back, and instead of trying to do and control everything and make sure everything went as planned, I did the opposite. I let go of control. I set up these simple measurements to know whether or not we're going in the right direction or not. And then I stopped every meeting, every report, and the business improvement would skyrocket it, and everybody loved me. It was like the craziest lesson that I ever learned about let the people go. Give them a direction, and then you're the person who removes obstacles that get in their way. But other than that, leave them alone if you know the direction. That's great. Well, I have the desire one day to have that uh, beer in the neighborhood bar with you. So uh, I, look, <laughs> I will definitely do that with you. I look forward to that, and I appreciate the time. Thank you. That, I'm looking forward to it, too. Thanks, bud. Thanks for listening to this edition of Healthy Paranoia with Tom Asacker. Thanks for listening to Healthy Paranoia with Buzz Knight. Production assistance provided by Boston Beasley Media Group's Mark Clark.